7.04, and boy, oh boy, your Monday evening just got a little better. It's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we're going to be here with you as well. And Ira's not in studio with us. He's had a really busy week, a very busy week coming up. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I do need to let you know, you got to stick around. Because at 7.15, Tim Frank, the National Basketball Association's Senior Vice President of Communications, is going to join us. Ira, this is a huge interview. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Tim? Well, Tim has is an amazing career. Um, he's been he's this 12 seasons in the NBA. He's almost like the head of uh, the public relations for the uh, the press secretary per se for the for the NBA for 12 years. He's been 19 years in the NBA overall. And before that, he was seven years and he was in charge of communications for the Houston Rockets. I mean, he runs everything at the NBA, the w- NBA, WNBA, D League, uh, all the other teams. It's it's pretty amazing. He's one probably the most connected person, one of the most connected persons in the NBA. Know what's going on uh, with a lot of questions. We talk topics that we bring up or like we're wondering what the NBA is going to do, we're going to ask about that, ask him today. Yeah, no, there's so much to talk about with uh, Tim Frank, 715. He's going to join Ira on sports. Ira, we always want to know, where you been, man? Wow, I had a good week this week. I was in L.A. and got to a Dodger game on uh, Friday night. So it was very exciting to be. I was, last time I was there was for the World Series, so it was neat to come back to a game and see it. And uh, they... Again, this is what's happening in baseball right now. Dodgers are playing Padres. Padres field a minor league baseball team. They're out of the playoffs. The Dodgers jump on them 11-1. They scored six out of the first seven innings. They scored two runs. They get in. It was one or two runs. It was a total blowout. And it was very interesting to see, though, the Dodgers look like a team. They started Dozier, Turner, Machado, Kemp, Taylor, Hernandez, Grandal. Bellinger, Cody Bellinger, who has 20 home runs, batting in the eighth position. They sat Puig, Muncie, and Peterson, and they still win 11-1. Hill pitched for them. It was great being at the game, and uh, it was just—it was good to get out there to see uh, uh, the Dodgers play. Their Vegas odds have been shifting very rapidly, and I know we'll probably talk about that uh, coming up in just a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the um, tell us a little bit about the ambiance there? I feel like this is one of those stadiums I've never been that just doesn't—you know—seeing it on TV just doesn't do it justice. It's a bucket list stadium. I mean, if, it really is something that if you're in L.A. or out on the West Coast, I think you have to say, I have to go to Dodger Stadium. It's historic. Uh, it's a stadium also that if you're not really that big a baseball fan or sports fan, you still got to go to. There was a person sitting next to me that was not following the game at all, but just could not believe it. The game started at 7 o'clock. It's you could see the hills of, of, of L.A. all around it. And then the color, as the sun goes down, it's turning from orange to red. I mean, just the, su- the setting sun was beautiful. And seeing with the palm trees above the stadium, uh, it's a weird stadium in that you don't enter. Everybody enters. It's four decks. Everybody's entering on different decks on different levels. It's, the weather is perfect. I mean, you're sitting there, you just can't sit. Can you actually sit in a more perfect weather at a game? And uh, it's just from the, 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 in the it's, it's quiet outside the stadium, loud inside the stadium. And anyone who follows baseball, you follow the Dodgers. You've seen all the great years they've had and the home runs, and you're like you're at the stadium and it brings back memories. It hasn't changed a lot. It's not one of those stadiums that they've retrofitted. And they put some skyboxes in a little bit. It's really the same stadium that's been there for, like, 40, 50 years. So it's a, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a must-see stadium for anybody who loves sports. One of the things, though, Ira, from this past weekend that kind of gets on my nerves a little bit is these nickname weekends that Major League Baseball is doing now. I understand they want to be more, um, you know, like friendly. We want to have that, that kind of appeal and let these guys show a little bit of, um, a little bit of their character. But I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of not knowing who's really out there. 
Well, I watched the nicknames on television during the weekend. It wasn't as bad. When you're at the game, on the scoreboard, they had the nicknames on both, uh, the players on both teams on the scoreboard. You could not follow. Like, you didn't know who was up. And I follow baseball all the time. I don't know these people's nicknames. Certainly, I don't know the Padre players that were minor league <laughs> players' nicknames. And, and these aren't like LeBron. Like, not nicknames like that. I mean, Chris Taylor was like CT3 and some, some names that people don't know. And, and you don't know who this player is. And you're like looking and you don't have your score. No one's, I don't have a scorebook, so I'm trying to see what number that is. And I'm Googling it on my phone. It made it impossible. I think it was a really – look, I, I know what they're trying to do and make it more fan-friendly. But I think just stick to the names of the players and do other things. I, I just don't think this was a great idea at all. And people around me, everyone thought it was stupid. There's not one person in my section that I was sitting at thought this was – they were all confused on what players were up. You know, it's one of those things, like you said, you're playing the Padres. So even if you're a Dodgers fan, of course you know all your players. I can't name a single guy in, in the Padres' bullpen. Somebody's <laughs> coming in, you're like, well, Brad Hand's gone, so who is this guy who, who I'm now facing? You know, Sean and I are big Yankees fans, and being Yankees fans, we're all about tradition and being classy. And Sean, to me, like seeing Yankees guys, walkie for Neil Walker coming out, it, yeah. it, it just it doesn't work. And, and the name on the back of the jersey, especially for a Yankee fan, is kind of weird. It's, it's travesty. I, 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 I agree with Ira. You know, I see where the league's trying to go. You know, when you look at some of their biggest stars, and it's and Mike Trout being one of the best baseball players, uh, you know, to, to to ever step on the on the diamond, and I mean, he could walk into a Publix and most people wouldn't know who he is. So you have the league where they've lost so much ground on the NFL, they've lost so much ground on the NBA, uh, where you know those leagues do a really good job of marketing their stars. You're seeing MLB trying to do these types of things. They're trying to make even how, how they do the All-Star game. And, and everything that they're doing is trying to get and capture that young generation uh, that has pretty much eluded them you know, over the past few years where, like I said, you know, we've seen the NFL make that major gap now. The NBA has easily uh, supplanted uh, MLB as the number two uh, um, Without league, a doubt, yeah. league in the country now. So um, it, I understand where they're coming from. Uh, I think they're kind of just trying, you know, and, and, and going through these uh, things and just testing it out to see. Um, but I, I would expect to see more of this type of thing, more of the fan-friendly, um, getting more people engaged uh, and trying to get to that younger audience uh, to, to get more fans back. You know, Ira, it's interesting. You brought this up on this show probably 10 weeks ago about how baseball's attendance is slipping badly. This is going to be the lowest attended season of baseball since 2003. That's not good at all for baseball, so I get what they're trying to do. Just about four minutes, Tim Frank, the NBA's Senior Vice President of Communications, joins us. Um, let's dabble a little more in baseball before we uh, switch gears to that. So, Ira, you know, you, you are at the Dodgers game. There's really one division that's turning into the best race, and it's going to be the NOS. The Diamondbacks are in the lead right now. Rockies, Dodgers, they're all within a game and a half of each other. Ira, what do you think? I mean, you're talking about the Dodgers looking pretty good. Who's going to take this down? Well, I got to think the Dodgers. When you look at them, they had a week where, I mean, they they lost some bad games last week. When you're out there, it's neat because the games are on so late. It's the one game that's up, and and they lose to the Cardinals uh, at a one-one game. When Machado now has become not playing that great for the last week is not a good Machado week. Uh, Manny Machado, who was going to be their superstar savior, he uh, he struck out with or grounded out with the bases loaded against the Cardinals in the ninth inning when they could have won the game. There he he still he didn't even look good when everybody was hitting the Padres on Friday night. He was not getting any hits. Um, but they just have such a deep lineup. I mean, I, they played those eight guys. They had Peterson, Puig, and Muncie on the bench, and they, they, they it looks like as long as Roberts can somehow figure out get the right players in with their pitching, they should win. 
win this division. Uh, if the, I'll tell you what, if the Dodgers don't make the playoffs or actually don't win the division, I think it's a, it's a major upset, and Roberts will clearly be fired. It's... I love divisions like this, and especially the, the National League is famous for it. You know, ha- having these, uh, you know, come down to the last day. I am a huge Rocky fan when it comes to National League teams. I've loved this team since they, you know, since they came on the scene. I think it was '92. Um, I've always liked these guys. They are either the team that goes out on a 15-game winning streak or just completely collapses in September. But I'm going to take the Rockies to win this, Sean, because Ooh. I love the way the starting pitching John Gray's been lights out for these yeah. guys. Um, Nobody gives any credit to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They are Ever. leading the division. Ever. Sean, who do you think takes down the NL, uh, NL West? I, I mean, it's it's hard to go against the Dodgers, but, I mean, if you look at what Vegas is saying, I mean, let's go back to NL West odds back to July 24th. I mean, they were minus 250. Today they're plus 190. World Series odds on August 8th, all right, just you know, a few weeks ago, plus 500. They're plus 1,200 right now. Puig has not been swinging the bat well. Uh, Matt Kemp, you know, who kind of regained, I don't want to say his all-star form, even though he made it to the all-star game, but just – but you know, was playing very well. I mean, he's been pretty much abysmal this entire month. Um, and you're he's seeing, so old, it's tough yeah, to yeah. And, and you're yeah to sustain it. And you're seeing you know Colorado who has that good you know that front uh, end of their rotation uh, have some young bats. Uh, but you know the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, they're that team that kind of just always flies under the radar. So I, I think it is an uphill battle. Even though we're only about two and a half games out, the Dodgers. You know, I think they're looking up at the at the Diamondbacks at this point. The rest of the way out. Um, we do have our special guest on the line. He is Tim Frank, the NBA's Senior Vice President of Communications. We can get back to uh, baseball uh, f- once we wrap this up. Uh, Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Ira on Sports. I- I've got a question for you before we get to Ira. Manu Ginobili, guy had an amazing career. 16 seasons. He announced today he's going to retire. In your book, Tim, Manu, a Hall of Famer? I think he has to be. I mean, I, I just when you win at the level he won, and and I, I think when people sometimes, you know, get hung up on numbers, but um, his numbers were largely affected by the selflessness he had as a yes. player. Yeah. I mean, he you know he came off the bench mm-hmm. for much of his career because Coach Popovich thought it was the best thing for the team. And I mean, God knows you know how much um, they won during that time. I saw the stat today that he is the. Highest winning percentage of any player that played over a thousand games. That was in the Spurs release. I mean, I think that says everything about him. You know, he he took a small, you know, took his country, which had never won before, to an Olympic gold. Uh, he had great success over in Europe before coming into our league. I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine a guy like him not finding a place into the hall. I'm Ira. What do you got for Tim? Tim, thanks a lot for coming on the show tonight. Uh, I guess, that, and that leads into my next question. The international influx into the NBA, I mean, you must be just ecstatic about now the fact that there's fans. When I go to a Knicks game, and I know you go to these Knicks games and see it, and you're sitting, and there could be the Knicks playing Denver, and if there's a foreign player on Denver's team that's not even getting the game, they might have a thousand of those fans there just showing up for that player who's not even getting the game. Talk about the international influx into the NBA. Well, we've been lucky. I mean, you know, it's... it's um... You know, there was a time uh, not so long ago, you know, when you and I were, you know, in high school or college in, in which, you know, everybody looked at international players in a different way. And I, and I think, um, you know, starting with guys like Akeem and then through Dirk and Duncan and a lot of these other guys that, that came in, international Manu, Tony Parker, I think the, the whole attitude about international players changed. And what we've seen is, uh, an incredibly different player than we pictured back then, and 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 I think that has raised our 
profile, obviously, in those countries, but also, you know, throughout the world, uh, because I think what has become clear to all players in the world is, is if you're good enough, you can make the NBA, you know, and it doesn't matter if you live on the other side of the planet. And and I, I think that attraction probably makes us as unique as anybody because, um, you know, we certainly have had so many players from so many different countries. It's, um, you know, we went over, you know, I think we were at 110 or something like that to start the season last year. We're international players. And that's that's just a crazy number when you think about, you know, where we started with this whole thing back in the 80s and 90s. Well, Tim, I guess that leads to the next question also. I remember when we were young, you know, I wanted to watch the Celtics, Lakers, and, and the NBA Finals, and you say, oh, it's a must-see game. I have to stay up to 11.30 at night on CBS watching it in tape delay and telling everyone around me, don't tell me what happened in the game. I want to know. And now I've been to 50 NBA Finals games. I've been to 18 in the last 20, traveling around the country, going to see LeBron, paying a zillion dollars on tickets. So what has made the NBA this hot sport? What do you think is like, I guess, a couple of the factors that have gone from being on tape delay, watching people watching the Finals, NBA Finals, 11.30 night, to now being the sports when they're playing you ever your NBA finals on when you have a big game on any big games that's the sport that people are talking about it yeah i mean sadly i remember those tape delayed too as um you know you try not to watch the sports uh, you know you and i grew up in the same hometown on wtaj so that you wouldn't uh, be impacted uh, to watch the game but you know i you know i think there's been so many factors i mean you know, when, when Larry Bird and Magic Johnson came in together, that was a huge factor. Then Michael Jordan, you know, took it to another level after that. I think most recently what we've seen is, um, you know, in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, the game was really a slugfest. Um, and um, the NBA had a committee that was led by Jerry Colangelo and Jerry West was on it and Rod Thorne and David Stern was uh, the one that put it together. And, and they basically looked at the game and, realized it was not being played the way it was intended to be played. So we, you know, we went through some really hard times where we got rid of hand checking. The game became um, more free flowing, uh, which made it more exciting for fans. Um, it matched athleticism of our players. Point guards became important again because you could be a little guy and be successful because no one could just arm bar you, you know, out the mid court. Um, and the game changed, and so it became a very open game. Uh, shooting became a premium. Quickness became a premium. Um, and it, and it, it really became something that I think fans really enjoyed watching. And, and you know, then the last, you know, 15 years in particular, uh, we've had an influx of players that have just been terrific players on the court, but just really great ambassadors for the sport um, that have helped raise the profile, and I, and I think um, I think when when people have enjoyed watching those players and and getting to know those players through the game, I think it just raised our league to a level that um, you know we hope continue we can continue to grow from. Well, yeah, and you talk about the profile of the players. Major League Baseball is calling out Mike Trout, their superstar, for not doing much as much on social media to promote himself. Whereas the NBA, you could have the 12th guy on a team have a million Twitter followers. So, I mean, you're head of communications. I mean, you, you are helped the fact that the NBA players are so telegenic and so affable in terms of the in, interviews and everything. But uh, what, what, what has made your social media greatness? I mean, sort of the NBA is the, the standard for the social media for their players. 
you know, I think the issue for us was is, is just our players embraced it from the minute it came around. And it became, the, you know, like anything else in life, it, if it becomes the cool thing to do, people follow. And, and I, you know, I don't, I'm sure you can remember when Twitter first came around, Shaq was one of the first public figures to really embrace it. And I, I think it just made our players, um, you know, really attach uh, to the fans because they had more direct roots to them. And, and so I think our, uh, you know, our players have, have really embraced it to, to a level that, I don't think anybody could have anticipated early on. I think, you know, early it was probably a fear, you know, about, um, you know, because when you get on social media, you send some, it's out there. And there was probably a worry that guys would maybe not do it the right way, but our guys have handled it terrifically. And, and they've, you know, we've had some issues here and there, but very minor ones and, and pretty minimally. And so I, I think we've been, we've been a, a real, um, success because of, of how our players have been able to use it and their, their willingness to use it. And I think it's really, you know, everybody jokes about NBA Twitter because I, I, you can't be a part of the NBA right now and not be on Twitter. <laughs> That's good. What about, I mean, the NBA gets a lot, of, I think, unfair criticism on the super team concept. I, I, I was in Miami, you know, we're certainly in the, in, in the Miami area, and when the, when, the, when the LeBron came there, everyone, I mean, they were rock stars. They were the Beatles. They walked around all around, and it was tremendous. And now the Warriors are the super team, and they're, they're creating super teams in other places. But then there's other markets like Utah. Donovan Mitchell gets drafted. You put Rudy Gobert around him, and suddenly you have a great team without, you know, adding all these free agents. But what is the league's position on the, you know, when people say all oh, these super teams are killing the NBA, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, all we've seen is, you know, the, the, um, the increase in everything that we do since, you know, this sort of concept was uh, sort of made up, I would say, because I think we all have short memories. I mean, you know, I mean, you mentioned back in the 80s, um, you know, you can go further back than that. I mean, the Celtics and Lakers were super teams. They were just put together differently. You know, I mean, like, uh, there were four or five Hall of Famers on those teams. And, and I, I think we, we sometimes forget that. And, you know, now free agency has been become such that players uh, are utilizing it more than they ever have. Um, contract lengths are, are, are lower than they used to be as, as a result of our, um, our recent collective bargaining agreement. And so guys are using the system to, to play where they want to play. And, and, and I think, um, I think sometimes we, we don't understand that these are people as well. I mean, you know, you and I decide we want to leave a job and go somewhere else. And everybody tells us how great of a decision it was. And boy, I'm glad you're happy. A player does that because he's not particularly happy in his current situation. And, and we want to vilify them. So I think it's just a, I think it's just a different dynamic in this day, but I don't think it's it's largely different than what we've seen throughout the history of the league. I mean, we've had great teams, um, so much so that some people are always questioning: Could the Warriors beat those Celtics teams? Could they beat those Lakers teams from the night or from the '80s? Could they beat those Bulls teams from the '90s? I mean, I, I think everybody understands that that this is. Um, we've always had teams with great players, and that's not going to change. It's just the mechanism on how it gets done. 
And then uh, one of the things that's really helped the NBA is the G League or D League Development League. They keep changing the name, but the idea that there never was a minor league for basketball. Um, players like, as we know, Mike Isolino had to go over to, if they didn't make the NBA team after two years after playing, they're playing in Europe, and they're, it's harder for to you know, get out of contract when you're playing in Italy to come help an NBA team. But now you have this G League, you have two-way contracts where players are going back and forth, and almost every team, I think it's going to be next year, every team will have its own development team. Talk about that growth. I know you were very important and integral in the development of the G League, but just talk a little about what the G League has meant to the NBA. You know, it's great, and I think, unfortunately, people haven't necessarily understood how great it is yet. Um, you know, the reality, we just announced the schedule today. We're going to have 27 teams in the league this year. You know, we hope to get to a 30 for 30 model, as you said, maybe by next year or the year after. Um, it, it, it's just such a valuable mechanism for player development. Um, you know, when we first started, it was not what it is now. Now teams have control uh, of a lot of the of their affiliates. Um, they 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 basically get them the coaching that they need to develop into players within their NBA system. Um, but more importantly for players, it puts them in this country to be able to be called up during the season. Um, you know, when you make a decision to go overseas, um, which, you know, you mentioned Mike, you know, who we grew up with. I mean, you know, that was the only decision to make then for the most part. Now you put yourself in a really solid uh, minor league system over here in the United States, and you have a better chance to be called up during a season. Once you're international, there is no call up during the season. And and so you just have to decide what you want. I mean, and, and you know, as a player, and that puts you in a good position. We have the two-way contracts now, and the two-way contracts enable you to sign and be able to play with both the the, um, the parent club and the affiliate. Um, that gives you a great opportunity to be able to to learn more about the organization, to be able to learn from the coaches, all of those types of things that put you in a much better position to be an NBA player. So. Yeah, we're thrilled with it, and and I think um, the more uh, it's around, the more people are embracing it. Uh, it's on television more, which of course brings more attraction to it. But um, but we we're we're pretty proud of what's happened there, and we actually think it's it's still at its infant stages. We feel it can grow even to a, a much larger uh, impact into the whole NBA community. And um, Tim Frank, we're, uh, we have on from the senior communications vice president of communications of the NBA. Uh, on True Oldies in West Palm Beach. But the question, uh, one of the questions I have is, we've talked about on our show, is NBA expansion. I would, just tell me you're putting a team in Pittsburgh. I would do anything for a team in Pittsburgh. I, everyone <laughs> asks me what my favorite basketball team is, and I do switch loyalties from the Heat. to where I, I'm all over the ports. I've gone to so many NBA games, but I would do anything for a team in Pittsburgh. But I know that's not realistic. But where do you think, you know, the NBA looks like they possibly could add a couple more teams where, what are you looking for? I mean, people mentioned Seattle, Vegas, what, or Europe. What, what is the NBA's position on expansion right now? You know, at the moment, we're not even looking at it. I mean, it's, it is a, um, we feel really solid with where we are as a league. Um, there's not really any movement to expand. Um, will we at some point? You know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think there's probably a chance that that'll happen at some point down the road. But as of right now, I, I think we're really, really comfortable with 30 teams. We we feel good in the markets we're in. Um, we we feel um, that we're that, you know we have a great um, um, you know amount of talent coming into the league and it's being properly distributed. And and listen, if there's one thing we need to get better at, it's how we distribute that talent. Um, to make the you know give the league even more parity and and so I, I think 
for us right now, that's just not a, it's just not something we're looking at in any type of um, meaningful way. Um, but it's always there. And, and, and it's, um, you know, and our friends in Seattle, which obviously we were there for a long time, they, they want a team, you know, Vegas has, you know, become a major league team. I'm sure they're they're all interested for the time when we answer the call on that, but as of now, that's not something we're looking at. And I guess the last question I want to ask is, I mean, this is a really a big topic in terms of the reseeding, and I know that Adam Silver has mentioned it a couple of times um, in terms of East and West, and um, I think it'd be difficult as me who likes to go to the games and travel. I sort of like to keep it East and West. It's it's really hard to go back and forth as I go between Golden State and Cleveland the last four years. So it uh, has been difficult uh, trying to find those flights, and it's a lot easier to go up and stay on the coast. But what is what has what's the NBA's position on this idea of reseeding the the NBA teams when they get in the playoffs? So there's no East Conference, West Conference, and those things. Well, first of all, we love the fact that you want to go to all the finals games. We need we love having fans like you. But um, you know, for us, I think it's a matter of the logistics of the whole thing. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, you know, although you know our flight our flight situation is different for our teams, it is still a lot of miles to put on the body. And and um, and the and the reality is is we would add you know forty to fifty percent more travel is our estimate if, if we went to just seeding one through 16, um, if we, in, for, in order to do that, we actually feel pretty, pretty strongly that you'd have to balance the schedule in some way, or at least get close to balancing the schedule. And if you do that, you're adding, you know, another 5,000 miles per team during the regular season. So, you know, in a time when we have made a really concerted effort, um, to reduce those types of numbers, um, you know, when we've been doing our schedule the last few years, it sort of um, would go kind of exactly opposite of that. So, you know, it's something we always are looking at. Um, we, we look at it every summer um, when we go through things. Um, but it's a very – it's a lot harder change than people necessarily think it is. Um, there's, there's a lot that would have to happen. Um, and, and I just don't think at this point – um, we think it's worth it. I mean, the reality is, is there are still, you know, as we go into this year, you know, we feel we got really good teams, you know, in both conferences. And I, I don't, you know, most of the, most of the time our finals, you know, this is an exception this year, but most of the time our finals are going six and seven games. I mean, you know, so we feel like we get a pretty good balance um, once we get to that point. So I, I don't, I don't know that we necessarily view it as, uh, as the issue that a lot of other people do. Um, but again, um, the one thing about Adam is, is he's very open to looking at a lot of things. You know, when, you know, one of the first things he did is when he went back to the two, two, one, one, one in the finals, um, where we were two, three, two, uh, for all those years. And, and he felt from a competitive standpoint, it was the most fair thing. And, and that's what the teams felt like. And we ended up making the change. So he certainly, well, he respects history. He's not married to it. And so if we get to a point that we feel we want to make those changes, I think he'd be willing to do it. But I, I just don't think we're at that point yet. Yeah, I mean, it is funny. I mean, and you're right. The teams have their own private jets. But as someone who tries to fly between Cleveland and, uh, and San Francisco, uh, there's, like you take, there's like one or two flights a day that are direct. It's very, very difficult to have there. Um, I, guess, I guess the final question I have is in terms of what uh, the, the new rules. I mean, I think the NBA is always tweaking. It's not, I don't think you have some major rules in terms of like the hand checking. I mean, certainly uh, with the 24-second clock, uh, they're, they're in, when the 
ball gets shot, instead of resetting the clock, you're going back to 14 seconds, not resetting the clock for 24. Anything about these new rules that you're excited about that you think are going to really help uh, with the NBA this next year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say, you know, these are things that our competition committee has recommended, um, is going to recommend to the Board of Governors. The board still has to vote on it, so they're certainly not in place yet. Uh, I am, am particularly excited about the um, the 14-second reset. Um, I've seen that um, in other leagues. Uh, actually, it was funny. I was just watching the WNBA playoffs yesterday, and at the end of the game, that came up. And, you know, what you're going to see is, and I, and I think anybody that has studied this statistically would tell you, it doesn't – most shots after an offensive rebound occur within, like, the first few seconds. But – what I think you're going to see, you know, if this rule is passed, is at the end of game, it's going to change strategy significantly. Um, you know, if, if I get a rebound now, an offensive rebound with, you know, um, 24 seconds to go in the game, and I'm up two, before the other team had to foul me. There was just no choice. Now, you know, with, a, with it only resetting to 14, you can play defense, you can get another stop, get the rebound, and have 10 seconds to try to score to tie or win the game. So I think that part is going to make the end of games particularly exciting. Um, and, and it puts us in a position where, you know, you know the, sort of the, th- the thing you hate at the end of games is the, you're fouling to get the ball back, and hopefully that'll um, reduce that a little bit, and I think it'll make it more fun. So I'm, I'm particularly excited about that, about that piece because I think, I think it adds a lot of excitement at the end of games. Well, we had uh, uh, Nick Elam of the Elam Ending on last week on the show. I, I, I know you guys have probably looked at that, and that's way down the line, maybe, <laughs> maybe a couple commissioners from now. But that's, that, 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 that's, and certainly it's interesting to, to the concept, and it was on the basketball tournament to watch that and see how his plan to end the games in terms of adding points onto a score rather than have a clock run at the end of the game. Yeah, incredibly creative idea. I mean, I think what we've, you know, when you're watching it, you, like in anything, you you start to see some of the um, the other issues that are in it, and you know teams that are you know if they're getting to the um, three points away from the the you know the 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 the, lo- the level they have to get to, um, teams will foul intentionally so that they can't get a three point shot off, um, you know, and so that's not great, and and you know, and so I think you know it's one of those things that i that we've definitely have watched um develop here over the last 2 years and they extended it this year at the tournament and um and we'll continue to look at it, it i i find it an incredibly compelling concept but as with anything there's there's some downsides too which you have to which you have to look at and uh but i but i you know when i watched a little bit of that tournament i thought it was a pretty interesting way to end the game well tim thanks a lot i appreciate your time i know this is even though it's the offseason for the NBA, you're working 24-7, 365. You've done an amazing job. The NBA is as popular as ever. It's getting more popular. Uh, you're causing me to go to every game. I've been to I was like 14 arenas last year. I love the experience. <laughs> and uh, certainly everyone's, everyone we know talks about the NBA all the time. Uh, again, thanks a lot for coming on Ira Sports. You got it, Ira. Anytime. You take care. Thank you so much. You're listening to Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel, 735. Mike and Sean are here as well. What a great interview that was, Ira. So much amazing insight from Tim Frank, our NBA Senior Vice President of Communications. You know what? We're, we're deep into this. Let's, uh, let's dump baseball. We can go back to this next week. I'm sure by then the Yankees will have picked up uh, three or four more games on the Red Sox. Let's switch to football. <laughs> 
I'm a big Giants fan. And I've been saying on this show for months, I don't know how much I trust or like Odell Beckham's antics. You can't deny the skill. Regardless, the Giants paid him. Five years, $95 million. $65 million of that is guaranteed. I really think this is a good signing for the Giants. I mean, is he worth being the highest paid receiver in the league? No, I, this is ridiculous. I just don't like this contract. I am not. I know that he's celebrity. I know everyone's wearing his jersey. Um, he has shown a propensity to get injured. Uh, last year was he wasn't healthy. I, I don't think he runs his roots as hard as he does as other players do. I think he drops balls. I think he shorthands balls. He's not my favorite player. I, people love this for the Giants. They think it's great. I'm not. I'm telling you, I don't. I'm not a sold on this. I, I don't. I'm not. He's not one of my top five or six receivers uh, to give him this long, this much guaranteed money. Uh, not sold on this at all. And I think you saw what kind of attitude he had before he got the money. Now he has the money. I, I just, I'm just i against the move. You know, it's interesting you bring up about the everything around him. Here's something that a lot of people don't know. The most followed NFL player on Instagram is Odell Beckham. He's got more than close. He's got more than double Tom Brady, who's second. More than double the followers. So people love this guy and they love the antics. And I don't want somebody who's showing off on Instagram as being the cornerstone of my franchise. Um, Sean, you're a Cowboys fan, so I don't know what we're going to get from you on this, but <laughs> you, you, you like the Giants making this move? What do you think? I, I do only because the age. You know, somebody's going to pay him. You he's getting the money from somewhere. Yeah, you decided to invest in your offensive line. Go out, get the running back instead of getting the quarterback, which everybody thought you guys were going to get. Either it was Darnold or Allen, whoever it may be, Rosen. Um, so you invested in Eli for the next year to two years. Pair him up with, with Odell. Odell's 25 years old right now. He'll turn 26 in November. So the first three years is the $20 million a year salary. So that ends in his 29th age season, right? So right after that is kind of when the, the contract gets you know either voidable, tradable, um, but you're going to get great production in those years. I mean, that's prime prime age for, for an NFL athlete, 26 to 29. When wide receivers get to that age 30 season, that's where you see the dramatic drop-off. So the way you got to look at this is it is a three-year contract um, in, in terms of where it's you can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. You can't get out of it. And and at the end of the day, it is. It's not. It's it's the market. I mean, it's 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 the show that he brings. I mean, if you had to go right now, you know, I mean, there's certain players in it. I want to see LeBron James play a basketball game. I want to see Mike Trout play a, best, uh, a baseball game. You're right, the one, guy, in the the one guy I want to see play live action is Odell. If I had to pick anybody in the league, even I'm a Cowboy fan, it hurts me to say that, but he is that electric. He Cole is, Beasley doesn't sell he's seats. Just, he's just a difference maker. <laughs> so so the Giants, like I said, somebody was going to pay him. You know, I don't know if I would give him $20 million, but I mean, if you look at the numbers, what he's done in those first three years, I mean, it's it's, it's historic. It's, it's Jerry Rice absurd numbers. So um, I, I think in terms of where it is, the age-wise, at being 25, being 26, it'll be done in terms of untradeable by the age 29 season. I think it's, it is kind of good in terms of what the value was and what the market dictated. I can't, like I said, I can't blame them for doing it, especially what do you have left in Eli? So, listen, if they were bringing in a rookie quarterback right now, I wouldn't want... Trade him. Trade him, get first-round picks, exactly. and start over. But we've got maybe two years of Eli left. Yeah. You so have to maximize that. Yeah, get get the best receiver that we possibly can. I I mean I do think he's top six. Uh, I mean I, there's a cu- couple of guys I'd put in front of him. I don't even know if AJ Green's in front of him anymore. What did AJ no, Green do last year? No. Granted, Anthony Dalton and that offensive line, but there's a there's maybe three guys who I say are heads and tails the best three. 
He's got to be right behind that. 739 Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Let's head across the city and only just across to the different locker room. Talk about the Jets for a minute. We're going to do our division breakdowns uh, coming up in a little while, do the NFC East and AFC East. But, Ira, one of the most talked about players this preseason is someone who's not even a starter. It's Teddy Bridgewater. He's getting a lot of talk because it seems like the Jets are going to roll with Sam Darnold, maybe game one. But Teddy Bridgewater, at least to me, guy's got a lot left in the tank. So, Ira, do you think... Teddy Bridgewater, will, Teddy Bridgewater will end up getting moved? If so, where? Or do you think the Jets hang on to him for security? Well, remember, Teddy Bridgewater was a star, a superstar for the Vikings. It was their future. And then he suffered severe leg injuries, um, wasn't able to play for almost two years, to say. And now he's come back and he's looked great in camp. He's looked great in the preseason games that they played. As much as Darnell's looked in the games, good games, Bridgewater's looked great. But the strategy is very, very simple for the Jets. They, Darnell's the future. They have Joshua Gowan as their, if anything happens or needs some guidance, have him come in and play. Um, he's 40 years old, bright, ring him in. And you just wait for a quarterback to get injured. And I there's guarantee death taxes in an NFL quarterback getting injured <laughs> is going to happen. And then Bridgewater is going to be the top, one of the top people in the league, and you're going to be able to get a good draft choice. But just just like I think they're just going to hold on to him, and, and it's probably going to be a playoff team. If Deshaun Watson gets hurt for the Houston Texans, trust me, Bridgewater is going to be a, a, a candidate for that. There's about 20 other playoff competitive teams that if their quarterback gets hurt and they look at their backup and they have a chance to get Bridgewater. But I think you just hold on to him until an injury happens and then, and then talk to the team about trading him. You know what? That's, of course, what I would do because you're going to get a better ransom when a team's desperate. Yeah. A 4-1, and one, like you said, a 4-1 and one Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson tears an ACL for the 15th time. Well, we're a playoff team, but now we're screwed. Right now, though, I think there are a few teams probably kicking the tires on Teddy Bridgewater. Sean, what are you thinking here? I think I I said it. I, I, I kind of threw out some sleepers, but I mean he's coming to Florida, right? I got three teams. Okay. I got the Jags, the Bucks, or the Dolphins. I would bet money on the fact that either either at the trade deadline, maybe even before, um, or going into next year, he ends up in the Sunshine State. I, I think the only other team out there, like a sleeper pick, and I, I just haven't followed the backups there enough, but would be the Giants. You know, I could honestly see the Jets trading him to the Giants uh, if they coughed up a third or fourth round pick. It's out of the division. It's out of the conference completely. Um, and now you're on a team where he doesn't have to start this year. You know, what does Eli have left in the tank? Now you have a guy who was a pro bowler, young enough, who can automatically take that team from at some point going to complete rebuild mode straight into still competing and, and, and competing for that division. But I just don't see Blake Bortles having the year that he even had last year, and I don't think it was that good. So maybe midseason the Jags go after him. The Bucks I think, need to, to pass on Winston. And who knows what we have in Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I, I just think that if you look at the league, the teams that need a quarterback right now the most, even though they have you know clear-cut number ones, they're just not that good, and that would be every single team that's in Florida. It's, you know, I do think the Jags are a perfect landing spot um, yeah. with the best defense in the league and yep. a quarterback that is such a liability. You gave me heart palpitations when you said the Giants. And the, the reason I say that is, <laughs> no, no, this is, it, it, because if it did happen, Giants fans are extremely fickle. And oh, yeah. Eli will throw two interceptions in the first half of the, um, threw two interceptions in the first half of week one. And it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater City yeah, until, until he gets in. So that just, that scares me, just, just alone in that. I, I, I don't know. I, what about, I mean, I really like Oakland as a prospect. Oakland, not that 
you know, Gruden was on TV yesterday, and they're asking him, who's your backup quarterback? And he's like, I really don't know yet. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Derek Carr has a slight injury history, and that's a team that should have playoff aspirations. I think he'd be one of the, the fifth landing spot, possibly, if something happens for Bridgewater uh, before the season gets rolling. 744, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Um, let's get right into our division previews. Ira, we can start with the Giants. We've been talking about them a lot. How do you see this team panning out? The Giants? Yes, New York Giants. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sold. They are. Look, I've been spending a lot of time in New York, and people are really excited. And it's Barkley who's got them the most excited. I mean, everyone's talking Barkley, 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 and they think. But this is. I, this is the team that was three and thirteen last year. I know they. I know they changed coaches, um, but I don't know. I'm not as sold. The whole division, my prediction on the entire division is, I think everyone looks like an 8-8 team. That's including the Eagles, that everyone thinks is so great. I think that they are a very 8-8 team. Now, they're playing. It's interesting how these teams play, because the way these teams play, the Giants do have the easiest schedule. When they're easy, I mean they have two teams against who finish in the bottom of their division. Almost everybody, 14 of the 16 teams, uh, the way you, in the division, all the teams play the same players, but in a, teams in another division. But they play this, the NFC East plays Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis, and Tennessee. Not the toughest division. And then Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and Atlanta. Not the toughest division also. So the question is, would you play these teams at home? Like Atlanta's a better team, New Orleans a better team. Are you playing at them on home and road? I mean, a lot of it is, is by chance. Giants seem to have a fairly favorable schedule then for that. But that's why I think 8-8. Eight and eight, But I'm not sold on them. I, I just, I, I, they, they looked terrible last year in many games. And I just don't think a, a switch of a coach is going to turn this from three and thirteen to thirteen and three. No, you're absolutely right. And as a realistic Giants fan, I agree with you. What you know, I love the comment you made about eight and eight for everybody because as an educated NFC East fan, I think we all expect that every year. We look at this and say, well. You know, Sean and I have been going back and forth as him as a Cowboy fan, me as a Giants fan. We expect to split with the division. Yeah. You go you go one and one with the Redskins. Even if the Redskins win three games that year, one of them's against every team in the NFC East. It's just how these teams battle each other. They know each other inside and out. That's why I love this division. Um Sean, what do you think? Giants? They gotta get better. Nate Solder yeah, yeah. Nate Solder takes over for the turnstile that was Eric Eric Flowers last year. I, I don't have them as a playoff team necessarily, but I think they're going to be a lot better. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they could only be better. I mean, they finished 31st in NFL in, in the NFL in scoring last year, and they were 31st in yards allowed. I mean, so, so it was both <laughs> sides of the ball. I mean, they were, they were just pitifully awful. Um, the, the, the offense oozes talent. Okay, I mean, Odell, Sterling, uh, uh, Sterling Shepard, Ingram, I think he'd take a step back because he got a ton of targets because Shepard was – so. Yeah. but you, we might not see the crazy numbers, but but he's such a threat um, that it's almost – Defenses have to yeah. – Yeah, and, and my, my biggest concern with them, right, is because even though they did solidify the left tackle spot, which is just awful and pitiful with Flowers, all they did was kind of take the left side of the offensive line and put it to the right. You know, <laughs> they just hey, go from the left to the right, and somehow that's going to fix it. And when you run the ball with, with Barkley – Everything is off to the right. I mean, that that's how you run the ball in the NFL. So I just am, aren't sold on that right side. So I don't think Saquon has the amazing year that everybody thinks he will have. But the offense does just ooze crazy potential. My issue is on the defense, where they could have kept their team in better contention last year. And because, I mean, they were stout. I mean, they had players all over the field. The we one of the best defenses in the league two years it, ago. It, exactly. And then to, to, to take the step back that they did, and it was just like they undermined themselves. I know McAdoo kind of wasn't 
the leader they needed. But at some point, when do you take responsibility for your own actions as players? You know, it, it just seemed like it was such a disarray. And just to kind of put that all on the coach, it's like it was just a bunch of quitters. It was just like they just made excuses no, and all this, and it and it was just toxic. And and to me, you know, you have to overcome that. I mean, we all knew the problem was McAdoo. He wasn't a leader. But at the end of the day, where is the the personal accountability on the defensive side? So unless they can straighten that out and get more character guys, which Landon Collins is great for that defense, but even Jenkins, the the, the background that he had, Eli Apple's been a cancer. DRC, I know he's not with the team anymore, but it's not the right kind of guy that that you want in your clubhouse, in my opinion. So um, it really needs leadership. Really needs to uh, take a step up, um, and 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 they can then go on to win nine, ten games this year. Let's uh, let's get these answers uh, sped up so we can get through this division. Ira, Washington Redskins, for me, they've been the dumpster of the NFC East for a decade. I don't know if I see anything changing this year. What do you think? Um, again, 8-8. Eight and eight. I like Alex Smith, the quarterback. I think they got the right quarterback. I think it's someone they want. Uh, losing Geis was a blow to their running game. But, boy, Adrian Peterson, uh, we were surprised. I, yeah, I was did. surprised how well he looked last week. I don't know if he's going to be the answer, but they have enough backs. They see have, they have wide receiver by committee. They have running back by committee. They have everything by committee, and I think their defense has improved. And I, th- I really like Alex Smith. I think this is going to work. I think this team, this team's early part of the schedule is easy. At the end, they do have a tough ending. They're at Jacksonville, at Tennessee, and Philly to end the season. So that's going to that could be tough. You know, they're they're sitting there at, with like seven wins. They might not make the playoffs based on that. But again, I, I just throw them in the mix with everyone else. I I think this change of quarterback is going to be a, a key for them. If nothing else, Alex Smith wins regular season games. Yeah. He doesn't throw to, doesn't throw interceptions. He wins games, especially in the regular season. Sean Redskins. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think the, uh, the the geese injury, the guy's injury hurts. AP did look good. Chris Thompson's going to be the back that's coming out of that backfield. That that's the guy you're going to want on fantasy. He's going to get a lot of the touches, especially in the he passing catches game. Balls, yeah. Dink and dunk, and to pair him with Alex Smith. I mean, the receiving core with Doxson. Uh, they got Paul Richardson from Seattle. Um, uh, if 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 Reed, the tight end, could stay healthy, I mean, that's a pretty potent offense with a very underrated, uh, not just in the division but league-wide offensive line. The defense has gotten a little bit better. They have the three stout uh, D linemen from Alabama that they've invested first and second round picks over the course of the past two years. So they are a sneaky team, and Alex Smith only makes them better. I mean, this guy was an MVP candidate th- through the first 10 weeks uh, of the season last 13, year. 13, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he played amazing. I mean, he was a true MVP candidate. So to lose Kirk Cousins and get this guy, I mean, everybody, if you ask there, they think they got better. So, uh, you know, the injury at running back with, with – guys hurts but you know I surprising I, I think they're going to be a team that you don't want to play you know the second half of the year for sure Ira switching gears to the Cowboys um this is a team that has you know completely shocked us two years ago won 13 games took a, a step back last year with some issues going on especially in the in the locker room what's your outtake for the for the Cowboys next year I mean, I think the same thing. I like them. I think Elliott, that whole Elliott problem last year with Zico Elliott, suspended, not suspended, when he's going to play. Unless he gets hurt, I mean, he's going to be there every day. I think it's going to, it's going to alleviate the questions. It's going to give Dak Prescott someone he gets out of the backfield. I think people forget how good Elliott was out of the backfield catching balls, too, and catching it in space and running. 
I, I like the team. I know they, again, wide receiver by committee. They don't have Des Bryant. I don't think that Dak Prescott's going to be. I think it's a big help. I felt he was forcing balls to Des Bryant, who wasn't able to catch those balls. Yeah. It's easier when the quarterback goes back and really can throw to whoever he wants to, who's ever open, instead of trying to force it to some receiver who's not really open. So I think Cowboys' defense is going to be better. Their offensive line, of course, is great. They've had injuries in the offensive line, but even with their injuries, they still have a great offensive line. Um, I, I like them a lot this year. I think, again, but I like them a lot to be an 8 8. They have an easy end of the schedule. They have New Orleans and Philly at home, which is really tough, but they're at home, and that's going to be big games, November 29th, December 9th. And then they're at Indy, Tampa Bay at home, who might not be playing for anything, and then at the Giants to finish it up. So I think, that, boy, if they're in this mix, boy, that end of the season with those Philly and, and, and New Orleans games could be gigantic. How cute slash extremely annoying is it that they could lose two starters on the offensive <laughs> line and still have the best line in the league? N- not fun as an NFC East fan. Sean, what do you think about you? First of all, Dak Prescott, uh, highest rated, uh, highest QB rating ever for a rookie two years ago. Beat Aaron Rodgers. Beat, yeah. beat uh, Tom Brady. Beat Peyton Manning. He had a down year last year, though. Yeah. What are you thinking for your Cowboys? Well, uh, Cowboys? I, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, we miss we missed Zeke for six games, and we still finished nine and seven. Uh, we had Sean Lee. He was out for about five games. He's the heart of that defense. Tyron Smith. We obviously saw what happened uh, with Chaz Green playing left tackle against the Falcons, and Adrian Claiborne had six sacks. I mean, he we he gave up eight sacks in one game. I mean, it was it was abysmal. Um, but the one thing I will say is what I'm excited about is, is the return of Zeke, the health of the offensive line, but I'm really excited about this defense. One guy, and, and it, it, proof is in the pudding. We have to see him do it. He has to stay out of trouble. But Randy Gregory, second-round pick. You know, he had the marijuana suspensions. He's back. It looks like he's going to be totally clear. He will be back week one. He played 10 snaps last night against Arizona's first team offense, okay? 10 snaps. He had one sack, a QB hit, and three tackles. In 10 snaps. I mean, he is a freak beast. So we saw what Demarcus Lawrence did last year. I mean, I think led the league, you know, for the first, whatever, 13 weeks. I think he finished with 14 and a half or 15 and a half. Now you put Randy Gregory on the other side, who is a monster when he plays. And he is so determined. He's got his head straight. I'm telling you right now, we have we have high picks in, in a, a Woozy, Lewis, and uh, a Byron Jones to move from the safety corner. That defense, now you have a first-round pick in, 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 in Leighton Vander Esch. You have uh, Jalen Smith, who's finally back, now not playing with a, without a brace, and Sean Lee. Our defense is going to be sneaky good. Let's talk about, uh, finally, the Eagles. Ira, you alluded to it before. This team has to take a step back. There has to be a, a, a correction on this stock. They still could easily win the division. They might be the most talented team in the division, and Carson Wentz is the making of a superstar. Who knows when he gets on the field? Ira, what do you think about the Eagles? I don't think the Eagles are potentially – I think they're going to take a step back. But if they don't take a step back and they're 13-3 – this year, I think you're looking at a team like the Patriots. Like that means that means that Peterson was able to hold this team together because that's one thing Belichick does not get credit for, which is the fact that every year they're great, every year they win, they win Super Bowls, and maybe they don't win it a row and a row and four in a row, but they're always elite. They're always great. They never take step backs. And I think that's what Peterson has to do. I mean, you read in Philly, I follow Philadelphia very well. These players have celebrated this championship oh and God. celebrated. I mean, if they had the Stanley Cup, they would take the Stanley Cup and the trophy. And <laughs> go. They, have, they have milked this 
to the end. And, they, and, I'd, and I'd like to see how, and you know, these other teams, they're going to be gunning for the Eagles. Yeah. The Eagles two years ago were terrible. When they beat the Steelers two years ago, it was a shock. The Steelers were like, how in the world do we lose the Eagles? This is horrendous. What's going to happen? Fire Tomlin. Fire Tomlin. We lost the Eagles. Now, everyone thinks the Eagles are so great. Now everyone's going to be gunning for them. I think they go back to like 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, And they do this year on the road have at Cowboys, at Rams, Houston and at Redskins to finish the game. They have a very tough ending schedule. They're now playing a harder schedule uh, in terms of those two extra games. They're going to be playing some of the better teams. Uh, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sold. I don't, I'm not sold that Car- Carson Wentz is going to have a great year. I think they're going to play great, but this is not a 13-3 team again. Sean, Eagles, what do you like? Yeah, no, I agree with Ira on the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, it's going to come down to Peterson, how he, uh, how he tempers expectations, gets them back to that us-against-the-world type of mentality. Um, I don't think Wentz is ready week one. Uh, I don't think they should rush I, him I either. I, I, don't, I don't think they should rush him either. Foles has had the shoulder injury this year. It looks like Alshon Jeffrey might not even start week one uh, and, and, and might start the season on the pup list. Nelson Aguilar, also a big key part. They lost Trey Burton. Uh, they did pick up Dallas Godert, um, uh, the second-round tight end uh, that, they, that they got from uh, South Dakota State, I believe. Um, but the defense, I mean, it's one year older. Um, I don't think they did enough in the linebacking corps. I never thought their secondary was that good last year. I think they capitalized on a lot of mistakes that, that, that the pass rush created. I know they brought in Michael Bennett. I don't really think that's anything crazy. They brought in Mike Wallace. I mean, I think he's past his prime. I think it's kind of like what you're seeing in, in the NBA, like veterans just going to this team to to kind of ride and, and, and catch a ring. But I just don't see them going 13-3. and three. I think the Giants are vastly improved. I think the Cowboys having Zeke back uh, it, it is an improvement. I even think Washington's got better on both sides of the ball. So the division itself has gotten harder, so I don't see 13 wins. Do I think they're a player team yeah the talent on paper is just too good uh but i think i think you can see three teams in the nfc east com- competing uh a, you know for that division title with the cowboys the giants and the eagles what do you think what did they win five of the six games against our division last year yeah against the nfc east that doesn't happen no. often so yeah even just taking those two losses away now you're back in that 10 11 win category that's more where i expect them to be i'm not going to be shocked at all if they win the division i'm also not going to be shocked if they win seven games just on how that division plays each other. Exactly. 757, Ira on sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. I got a feeling we're going to go over, guys. We do this <laughs> often. Um, if you guys can, let's fly through the AFC East. Sam Darnold looking impressive for the Jets. Playing against the Giants' first-teamers, not second-teamers, he destroyed us. Uh, marched down the field for two touchdowns before getting, uh, uh, you know, before getting taken out of the game. Ira, the Jets have been a dumpster fire for uh, basically since the butt fumble. Uh, what do you <laughs> think? <laughs> what do you think for the Jets this year? Well, I mean, I think. I think they're going to have. A, I think they're going to win like six games again. Like I don't think it's going to be this amazing season. But I do think they're going to start out better. They're at Detroit, Miami at home, and at Cleveland to start. Wow, they could go three and zero. Then they got excitement. Then the Jets are where. So, but that's sort of they started out well last year too. And Josh McGowan got hurt. I, I remember the Jets did work, did win five games last year. So I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not looking. They're not going to win eight games. Maybe they win six, but they're going to be the same team they were last year. Five, eleven, you know, six and ten, that type of season. I thought they overachieved last year yeah, winning sure. those five games. Shawnee, what about the Jets? No, I, I think it's the year of hope. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of buzz about Darnold. He's still got a long way to go. I mean, his first two preseason games, he only he only attempted one pass over ten yards. I mean, it's a lot of dink and dunk, dunk stuff. I know he made some some nice throws against the Giants, but still, he was he was a fifty percent completion, eight of uh, sixteen for eighty. 
76 yards in the touchdown. Um, ran, I think, I think for like two, two carries for 13 yards. But, you know, you have your cornerstone quarterback now, and you have the anchor of your defense with Jamal Adams, the first-round pick at LSU. So if you're a Jet fan, you're looking at these two young guys to solidify and be the leaders on uh, both sides of the ball. So this is the year of hope and promise. They'll probably go 6-10, and 10, somewhere in that range. 8-8, uh, eight and eight, I think, would be a spectacular finish for the Jets. They need offensive line help to keep yeah. Sam Darnold off his back, and I think that Teddy Bridgewater might be the, the way to get that done. Um, the Dolphins are a very interesting team because I, I just don't... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what to expect from them. Ryan Tannehill, he's so far removed from playing at the level he was, what, three years ago? Which wasn't that good to begin. He had (laughs) 4,000 yards. But it's a generation where 20 quarterbacks have 4,000 yards. Ira, the Dolphins, what do you think? They were 6-10 last year, probably 6-10 again this year. The only weird thing, their schedule has a quirk of all quirks. You know, the Dolphins somehow, because they're playing in the East, they they, they tend to play cold-weather games. But they, because of the division, they're playing Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis, Tennessee, Chicago, Minnesota, Green Bay, and Detroit. They, they're playing the two divisions that have, that either are, in their, the two teams have, the, two, two of the four teams have domes. So they really don't have many cold weather games. And it actually played out that, you know, you're always concerned. You're a Dolphin. You don't want to be playing in Buffalo. Now they do. Their last game is at the Bills. But before that, they play Green Bay on November 11th. It's not that cold November 11th, but between November 11th and December, what I think it was the 31st, the last week of this game of the season, they have five games either in warm weather fields or the Dome. So they're not going to really be running up north getting – so if they somehow get off to a nice start, I think the ending is going to be a way for them to at least battle. But I still – they're 6-10. and 10. They're 6-10 they're again. Ira, that's a really interesting point. Imagine if the Dolphins are fighting for a playoff spot okay. and their last game of the season – Season is in Buffalo at the end of December. We already know what to chalk that up. <laughs> you just know what's going to happen going uh, going to Orchard Park. Um, Sean Dolphins. I don't know. I just think they lost too many people and like good people. They lost like, everybody. I mean Landry. You, you get rid of Landry, who you know was tied with Odell with the most catches or st- three three hundred catch seasons to start his career. I mean absurd numbers. And you go out and get Albert Wilson from the Chiefs, Danny Amendola. You know, and you return Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker, who's been an absolute bust. Uh, yeah, you know, for the past three years. I like Kenyon Drake. I still think Jay Jai for that offense was really truly a workhorse where I don't think Drake can give you that. I know they picked up Frank Gore, but we're talking about, you know, a guy that's eighty seven thousand years old. Um and 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 we got to see what Laramie uh, Laramie Tunsil can do. That's uh, Jawan James. I mean, these are two two high draft picks that really haven't panned out. You get rid of Pouncey, you ship him out. I mean, so so I just don't see them even winning six games. I mean, I think this is no joke. I th- I think this is a three to four win team. I I just don't see any improvement anywhere. My only disagreement is I think Kenyon Drake's on the verge of a breakout, especially fantasy-wise, because he does catch balls out of the background, and there's not much else talent there. they got to be going to him. Speaking of no talent, the Bills have to be the least talented team in the league. And they went to the playoffs last year. But yeah, but they lost their quarterback. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. A lot of things have changed there. Yeah, the Bills to me, Ira, this is going to be a dumpster fire. Well, and they and the problem with the Bills for a team if they want to start. Well, you're going to see Josh. They're probably not going to start Josh Allen early because you don't want to get him off to that bad a start. But exactly. they got some problems. They don't really have a good team. They've lost. They have no. Sean McCoy is going to get bottled up. I'm not excited about them. And they're 
First five, first four games are at Baltimore, Chargers at home, at Minnesota, at Green Bay. They're going 0 4. That's 0 4. It's over. You know, they're, they're out. Like, they're going to be out of the playoffs in, in October. Yeah. And then it's just going to be cold. And I love going to games there. It's a lot of fun. It's the old tailgating style where people actually go to games, don't go to bars, and tailgate outside like college football. But besides that, it's not, they're not, they're going to have a terrible year. Ira, you like, you, you like seeing these guys jump off RVs through tables? <laughs> Because I'd love to see that. They're definitely the tailgate capital of, of the NFL. Bill's Mafia, baby. <laughs> Bill's Mafia. They'll go to the hospital. Sean, uh, Patriots, this might be a team in flux. I, I mean, they, they pretty much they get a cakewalk to the playoffs every oh, year. Um, I just don't know what the Patriots are going to be able to do with, with a lot of the talent that they let go. What are you thinking? No, I mean, I, I think easily they're the cream of the crop in this division. And, and, and they also do. They, they, they benefit from the division that they play in. I mean, you still got to go out it's and you got to play the games. Yeah. But once they get to the playoffs, I mean, it, it, as long as Bill Belichick's on, uh, you know, is walking up the, down the sideline and number 12 is walking out and, and taking the ball from under center, I mean, they're, they're the team to beat, not in just their division, but the NFL. Um, you know, Gronk. They're the uh, favorites to win the Super Bowl, right? Gronk now. being healthy. I think Chris Hogan's going to have an unbelievable year. Uh, uh, a year with Philip Dorsett and really refining his skills because he is a speedster guy that can stretch the field. And Corderell Patterson, when he gets the ball in his hands, he can make plays. I mean, he's he's caught some uh, some balls from from Brady in the preseason. He's looked pretty good. They cut Eric Decker, and then he kind of said, you can't cut me, I'm going to retire. Uh, so, so he had that. But I, I just think um, with the addition of Sonny, Sonny Michael, uh, I think he's a dynamic guy. I think James White's really going to ste- uh, step up. I don't like the loss of Nate Solder, but uh, you know it, it's the Patriots' division to lose. It's the Patriots' conference to lose. Ira, you know I went to you uh, on this second because the Patriots have to be just the, the thorn in your proverbial side. Being a Steelers fan, and we almost not that we know, but everyone's expecting to see Steelers and the Patriots at the AFC Championship game when all said and done. What do you think about the Patriots this year? Well, the interesting thing about the Patriots is that remember last year they lost the first game of the season against Kansas City, and they're like, oh, my gosh, horrendous. Um, they do they play Kansas City again game. at home on the 14th, which is always an exciting game. But they have two – the second week they're at Jacksonville. And that's going to tell a lot about Jacksonville. That's just probably one of the biggest games in Jacksonville in – Ever, you know, as a regular season game, because <laughs> yeah. they'll both be probably one to know. They're going to go that they have Houston at home first, then they're at Jacksonville. I think if after that they're two and zero, then you're like Patriots are on a roll. But boy, they're playing Houston. You know, Watson could have this crazy game. They had a good game against last surprised them. Their defense, maybe the Patriots defense is that good. They go to Jacksonville. They're zero and two. Then it's going to be everyone's going crazy. And then at the end of the year, again, I, I, I for a Steeler fan, I, I cannot believe that for the third year in a row we get to play the Patriots in Pittsburgh. And it's if I'm a Patriots fan, I'm furious at that scheduling because again, where the Pittsburgh's the number one rival for the Patriots, and again, three years in a row, the one game they play each other has to be in Pittsburgh. <laughs> no, very, very good points, and it, you know, it leads to everything going in their favor. But it's just this team doesn't seem to falter, no matter who it is, as long as Tom Brady's under center. 805, it's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. <coughs> Ira, we, um, let's switch gears to tennis. And, uh, you know, U.S. Open is, is getting underway. Before we get into the men, though, something interesting happened today. Simona Halep, she is the first woman ever to be seated number one and lose her opening match at a Grand Slam tournament. This must have been a really crazy day. Well, it's crazy. I have, I'm going to be at the Open probably for the next days, so I love it. It's a, one of the greatest events to go to. But Halep has, is not, as it shows you, the, the 
I would say the uh, balance in the women's game or the fact that there's no superstars. Because Serena could lose in the first round also, uh, the way she's been playing. These players are at the top 50, 60 players. They can win. And there's no names. Uh, uh, I'd never heard Serena of Simone Hall. Round. Uh, <laughs> the American women, there's a lot of American women playing in there, but... Uh, it's not a surprise, and, and if you go to the if you, one thing is if you go to the open, the women do not draw that well in terms of unless it's Serena playing uh, the stadium, but they also play one of them at night at all times. But uh, I think that uh, I really think it shows there's a parity in women's tennis right now, and some of these, but these Sloane Stevens, uh, Keys, these great Americans, this is a time for them to grab it. If Stevens come back and wins the U.S. Open at a title back to back, that's going to be putting her. They, they, this is their chance now to take over the sport, and I'm really looking for the American women. That, that's what I'm focusing on for this tournament. Let's talk about the men for a little while, Ira. I mean, um, we had Murray win his first match, um, but he's going to face a, face a tough one in the second, and uh, Warinka. One in straight sets today. Yeah, well, Winka is. That's what. This is what I can't stand about the tennis and seeding. The seeding is a mess. I mean, everyone knows Djokovic is a six seed. He is probably is the worst at third right now. But he could he could seed him first, second, or third. But to seed him sixth and have him play in a quarter, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I think Winka played the AC Dimitrov today and beat him in straight sets. So Warwick is playing great. He's won the Grand Slam. Two years ago, he won the title. Now, I don't, I, it makes it no sense. The guy two years ago wins the title, who's now playing great tennis, and he has to get a wild card to play, and you can't even seed him. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I think Murray could probably – he didn't look that good today. I think he loses to Verdasco in the next round. The one quarter as Nadal and Kevin Anderson, who made it to the finals last year. Kevin Anderson's the tall South African who's played in the Wimbledon. Uh, that's going to be interesting. Nadal looks like he's going to roll through. Uh, and then probably play Del Poto. Uh, from Argentina, uh, you know, maybe that I think those two will make it to that semi in terms of what it, those two. And then in the bottom, in the quarters, you're going to get Federer versus Djokovic. I mean, you're going to get on. I think it's on Wednesday. Federer is going to play Djokovic in a quarterfinal if they both make it to that. And it's that you know, that's got to be a semifinal at least, not a quarterfinal match. So it'll be. I think it's going to be great to see uh, again the best of five sets. A little bit different, a lot different than the three best of three sets. You want to see how the Americans do. John Isner, Jack Sock won today, surprisingly, one of his first wins he has had. Sam Query's played well. Um, see how they come out and see how. I certainly don't think Isner has a chance to win this at all. Uh, last year, Query did very well. But uh, um, it, I think it's going to be great. You're going to see, again, Federer Djokovic. You'd like to see a final between Nadal and Federer Djokovic. That's what you want to get to see in the final. Who wins it all, I? What? Who's going to take it all? Who do you think? I said Nadal last time, and I like the draw. I think Federer playing Djokovic in the quarter is going to tire both of them out. I think Nadal um, Nadal usually comes to the U.S. Open not fresh, a little tired. Uh, he's lost a little bit, lost early in a round. I, I, think he's, I think this is the tournament he's going to win. I think he's going to win this. He's won it before. I think he is healthy this year. I like Nadal to win this. Let's switch gears to golf. Um, he might be the most hated guy in golf right now, <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau. Extremely polarizing. He talks a lot. He's got a lot of swagger. He hasn't done all that much until yesterday when he won the Northern Trust. Ira, what's your take on this? I know Tiger didn't play great, but some of our big-named Americans were looking pretty good. 
Well, this is weird. I, I, my take on the Northern Trust, and then it's just the first of four uh, tournaments. You have to, to qualify to go to the next round So there's this, for the FedEx Cup, which they're trying to make as big as the majors. Of course, they'll never make it as big as the majors. The majors are the majors, and these are just other tournaments that they pay $10 million to. And they pay a $10 million <laughs> other prize on there. Jordan Spieth uh, was 7 under. He finished 25th. Tiger had a weird – Tiger just putted. He played well, but putted poorly. A 71, 71, 68, and 70. I mean, it's just – he finished 40th, four under, just an average tournament. At much, Kepka and Thomas, they finished eighth. They were 11 under, and Bryson probably solidified himself getting into. We talked last week. I didn't think he was going to be put into winning this tournament. Definitely gets him in the Ryder Cup. Interesting about the Ryder Cup was uh, when you look at the players who didn't make the cut from the European side. Molinari has made the team. Rom, Nord, and Rose. Four of their star players of the European team didn't even make the cut. That's the their team. Trust, and McElroy didn't even compete. So if you're looking at the Ryder Cup going forward and going to see what's going to happen, boy, if the best European players can't even make a cut of a tournament, you've got to like Americans' chances. I mean, they're going to be a heavy favorite, and I think this even solidifies that more. 8-11, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. We're obviously way over. Mike and Sean are here as well. <laughs> Let's wrap it up on some college football, guys, because... Real football does start this weekend. Ira, let's take a little look at a couple of these games. Oklahoma versus my Owls here at FAU. What are you thinking? Um, I, the exciting game. I mean, this could be – if Florida – like this is one of those games where you want to just watch a little bit because – if it's close, then Oklahoma's going to feel nervous. Florida Atlantic can score, and, and, and this is the type of thing where Oklahoma's defense isn't that great anyway, and if Florida Atlantic gets to the track beat and gets comfortable and can keep this going, wow. I mean, definitely bet the over this game. But the other thing is that Florida, this, this is a tricky game for Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a top-ten team. Everything's great, but, boy, they, they, this, this could be a game that could definitely uh, – they, they, better, they better not overlook Florida Atlantic. What do you think, Sean? Uh, yeah, the spread is uh, is plus twenty one. I've, well, I've seen plus twenty to plus twenty two. I say Florida Atlantic will win. They'll cover the wow. spread, and the total will will go over. I think they'll. I, I think they'll definitely go over. I think the over right now is like sixty eight and a half. I think this will be forty five, forty three, somewhere in that range. Um, one reason why. FAU returns 10 of 11 starters on defense. They led the league in points scored last year. And a guy by the name of Devin Motor Singletary, right out of Deerfield Beach over here, didn't start. Okay, didn't start the first three games of the year. You know what he finished with? 1,920 yards, averaged 6.4 a carry. That's ridiculous. With 32 touchdowns. <laughs> 32. It's the third most touchdowns in the history of, and he of didn't cut. play a third Barry of the Sanders and, Mon- and Monty Ball from Wisconsin back in, I believe, 07. But Barry Sanders is who you're trailing. 32 touchdowns. I'm telling you right now, this is the staple game that I think Lane Kiffin uh, needs. Uh, it's going to bring recognition uh, to this uh, to, to this program. I go to, I would say, probably three or four games every single year. I went to the uh, the, the the Akron Bowl game uh, last year. Um, great stadium. It's, it's, it's right in our backyard right here in Boca. If you haven't been there, uh, definitely go check out an FAU game. But tune into this one because I think this will be the signature staple game that Florida Atlantic needs. It's funny you said signature staple game. This would justify Lane Kiffin's 45-year contract. Oh, Come my God, out yeah. and we- win week one versus Oklahoma. Ira, this one's going to be, well, at least spread-wise, a lot closer. Washington versus Auburn. This is going to be a big game. Only one and a half on the line. Ira, who do you like? A great game. I mean, a must-watch. I mean, Jake Browning in Washington has just been in the mix. They make the playoffs two years ago uh, with uh, Peterson as coach, who was the greatest you know, young court. He used to be the coach at Boise State. 
Uh, and that last year they just missed making the playoffs. Um, they're the favorite to win the Pac-12 against Auburn, who's one of the favorites to win the SEC. Uh, just an amazing game. I mean, just a great – and Auburn's favorite by a point and a half, but you probably it's either way. Um, just a great game. And it's really interesting to see how Browning plays for Washington. People think he's going to be the you know, yep. big quarterback for next year. Could be this, this is a game that could make Browning a lot of money. Cause he plays <laughs> great in this game. People are going to say he's one of the top five picks next year. So very interesting to see this is, is in Atlanta. Quote, a neutral site, but all the Auburn fans will be there because it's in Georgia. So it, I – I like Auburn just for the home field advantage, Auburn to win the game. Sean? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's, it's nice that you bring up Brown in, but even on the other side, Auburn with Stedman. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, that, that these are two guys that are, you know, playing for top 10 pick uh, and big money in the NFL. I mean, these are, these are two quarterbacks that will be drafted very high. You're talking about the number six team with Washington, number nine team in Auburn. Washington has to win this game, and I'll tell you why. Because you can't have one loss, win the Pac-10 uh, the, 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 the Pac out mm-hmm. there, and get into the college football playoff. Orbit could lose this one and say it's on neutral ground and go out and, you know, run the SEC table uh, and, and still make the playoff if they go out and beat uh, Alabama. But Washington needs to win this game. So this game, week one, number six versus number nine, could have play, uh, college football playoff uh, implications. Last game we're going to talk about only because I, I've got a soft spot for the U. Uh, you know, I hated the U uh. when they were so good because they were the team you love to hate. They were so good. Miami, in the last few years, and me being a Florida resident for a decade now, they've won my heart back over. Maybe it was Brad Kaya won my heart back over. I don't know what it is. They're going to be giving three and a half points to LSU on Sunday, Ira. What do you like? Not sold on LSU. I, that's, it's just, it's not a, it's not a, I'm not saying I'm sold on Miami. And I, but I'm just not sold on LSU. I think Miami wins this game. I, I, I think LSU's defense is still weak. Uh, they, people put them up there in terms of how the, the, you know, their SEC. I think I, they're th- the line's three and a half. I think Miami's like a six, seven point better than LSU. I think if LSU was a team in the Big 12, uh, they would, they, it's just because LSU, oh, it's LSU. It's, they're great. Name they're amazing. All these great teams. They're in the SEC. Yeah. I, I like Miami in this game, and and they're playing a new, truly neutral site at AT&T Stadium. Even though I assume there'll be a lot more LSU fans than Miami fans there, but uh, I like Miami to win this game, probably by a touchdown. Sean, being a Gator guy, uh, Miami got to be a little thorn in your side. What do you think? Well, I hate both of these teams. <laughs> 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 um, I think Burroughs, the the graduate transfer coming to Ohio State, it's the first true like good quarterback LSU's had. I mean, that's they they always have excellent af- athletes, you know, in the backfield on the O line, wide receiver and they can't find a quarterback. So I think Burrow coming over, um, highly recruited out of Ohio State, just couldn't get past JT Barrett. And that LSU defense, I'll tell you right now, is elite. I mean, they got two linebackers um, that that will get drafted in the first and second round. They have a, a good secondary. I always thought last year Miami outplayed. Was not, I don't want to say overrated. You, you they were only, very well coached. They were a good coach. Yeah, great coach. And I, I think they they they. Benefited from a, a down year in the ACC. Florida State obviously wasn't, you know, who they typically were. Um, but I, I think LSU has to go out and win this one. I mean, week two they go and they play Auburn. I mean, so so right out the bat they're playing the number eight team and then they go play the number nine team. So um, I, I I like LSU in this game only because I don't think the quarterback play in Miami was that great last year. Um, they didn't do anything to improve it. They're going to give that uh, that young man another chance. And I just think LSU's defense elite. Great show tonight, guys. Ira, before we wrap it up, where are you headed? I see a lot of tennis in your future. I've got tennis this week. 
Saturday, Penn State, Appalachian State. So it'll be good. College football and tennis can't get much better than that. You're going to get NFL then the following week. So it's good. But I love this time of year. I love going to the U.S. Open. It's a great experience to go to. And certainly going back and seeing Penn State. I, this is the year for Penn State again, looking for big things. I mean, national championship for Penn State. Maybe not national championship, but let's get to the Final Four finally. McSorley will be in the Heisman talk. That's it. He, he, is a, he is a gamer, that kid. I don't know who this McSorley kid is. Should I be watching out? <laughs> uh, either way, you know, you said he couldn't get any better. Well, it did. We had Tim Frank, the NBA's senior vice president of communications, stop by. It's been a great show. Thank you so much for being with us. It's Ira on Sports. We'll catch up next Monday night, 95.9, True Oldies Channel.